0: and to remind you that above all, this too shall pass. Welcome back to another expert episode of the podcast. Today's interview is honestly probably my favorite one that I've done. I interviewed Susan Anderson per your guys' suggestion so thank you for that susan anderson is a practicing psychotherapist with a specialty in abandonment she's the founder of the abandonment recovery program and she has devoted over 30 years of clinical experience and research to helping victims of abandonment trauma heal heartache grief and shame and overcome outer child patterns of self-sabotage so i will say this is probably one of the most validating episodes that you'll listen to of this show we talk so much about why heartbreak doesn't get the credit it deserves and how heartbreak is not accurately portrayed in any kind of media. She says, like, even nonfiction literature, we don't talk about how devastating heartbreak can be. So Susan went through her own adult abandonment when her husband of almost 20 years left her for another woman out of the blue, and it caused her to really dive deep into what, is happening within us when we go through abandonment. So we talk about the source of abandonment, how we all have an abandonment wound in us from you know, the very earliest times of our lives, how that abandonment wound shows up, how it's triggered by so many things, what happens physiologically when we experience abandonment, what happens when we don't heal our abandonment wound. We talk a lot about... Like self-esteem stuff and how we give, she uses this term self-esteem by proxy of how we get esteem from other people. I was nodding along furiously this whole episode. I really want to take one of her workshops, so I linked her website in the show notes, but you can go to abandonment.net to see all of her different books. We also talk about the five stages of abandonment and the feelings that go along with it. We talk about different exercises that she has on Healing from abandonment. So, I'm so excited for you guys to listen to this episode. So, I will stop talking and we will let Susan take over. Welcome, Susan, to the Heal Your Heartbreak podcast. It is such an honor to have you on today.
1: Well, I'm happy to be here. Thank you for inviting me.
0: Yeah. So, whenever I talk to someone who has such a specialty and they're like, obviously very extensive experience, I love to know where the interest in that specialty comes from. So could you talk a little bit about where your interest in abandonment came from?
1: Sure. You know, here I was expert in psychotherapy, you know, having a private practice and working in a psychiatric hospital. And my sort of a focus on Abandonment in the form of separation anxiety. I looked at people as having that internal feeling of insecurity and that being the source of so much of what they were going through. And in the middle of all that, the love of my life, my marital partner of 18 years, and we were madly in love. We had a really great, hot, you know, romantic relationship, left me suddenly for another woman. Oh, man. So it brought me to my knees. And it was devastating enough to my self-image and my confidence that I knew that there was something about, you know, separation anxiety and abandonment that I really needed to explore further because I was quite surprised that my own tools, which I thought I had the best tools, weren't sufficient to really help me when I was going through it. So I underwent many years of research, three years, constant research into all different fields, you know, neuropsychology, neurobiology, anthropology. I mean, really, I explored to look for what was going on here. And it helped me to understand not only what made going through a heartbreak like this so powerful, that it really devastated me momentarily. But in discovering what it was about, it helped me discover tools which are, you know, doable to be able to take that negative experience that runs so deep and turn it into deep healing. So you're not just recovering from your heartbreak, but you're healing, you know, primal wounds along with it.
0: Yeah. And it's, I mean, I started my breakup account five years ago and, you know, just anecdotally seeing how heartbreak really, really impacts certain people and how for some people, it's more of a just a little speed bump, where for some people, it's like absolutely debilitating. And I think you know, me not knowing a lot about abandonment. I think of like a child abandoned by their parent as like a huge abandonment wound. I'd be curious, like where a lot of that stems from. Is it, I think we think about these huge events, like being abandoned by a parent, but are there more like subtle things that maybe happen to us growing up that instills this abandonment wound in us?
1: Oh, so much. I mean, it's a universal wound. We all have it. We can't escape it because we were all born. So we all went through that thing of being in a womb, all comfy and perfect, and then thrown out onto a cold table somewhere and then picked up again, you know, and nurtured. Oh, it feels so good. And then put back in a bassinet or something. So we all know the difference between that warm, safe feeling and not and having, you know, this terrible, cold, separate, scary thing, connection, disconnection, we all have that connection, disconnection, we like connection, and we don't like disconnection. So that, you know, influences us us for the rest of our life to seek connection and try to hold on to it, and Mm -hmm. avoid disconnection whenever possible. So when Anything can trigger this. We could be in the first grade noticing that some kids are very popular and everybody picks them to play kickball and nobody's picking you. And so you feel disconnection. I mean, it can be triggered by minor, minor events. You know, a big trigger that I hear a lot in my workshops is let's say you come from a family where there's alcoholism. The parent who's the alcoholic. Is present, but not completely present because they're addicted to a substance. So there's subtle abandonment. They're there, they're taking care of you. They haven't left, but they're not completely there. And there's a lot of disappointment and a vague feeling of disconnection with that parent. Plus, we see the other parent feeling abandoned. So we're feeling that parent's abandonment sort of secondarily. We're unconscious of it, but we're feeling it. So the triggers are just everywhere. The triggers, if you are in school and you have the slightest learning disability and other kids are able to do something faster or better than you can, how come I'm not good? What's wrong with me? Oh, maybe I'm not worthy of you know, being a winner. Maybe I'll lose out in the end, which translates to maybe I'll lose my connections.
0: Mm-hmm. Or, like that feeling of being left behind or that left behind, not good enough, all yeah. the feelings
1: of, of unworthiness and inadequacy, we pick up so many of them, no matter how terrific we are, no matter how great our parents are, you know, all people pick them up. And then when we go through an abandonment in adulthood, it's such a trigger. Yeah. And it depends so much on how you are attached to the person, you know, the dynamics and There are many variables that determine whether you're going to be totally devastated or just hurt or angry, or there are so many variables to determine how you're going to react. But if you happen to react by being totally devastated, it's not abnormal. It's not a sign of weakness. It's really something really in your history, in your brain, kind of in the reality of the situation that doesn't indicate weakness, it's a situation. And yet people feel so demoralized, and weak and inadequate for having such a strong emotional reaction. Yeah, I the
0: question I get asked all the time is, how long, like what's the, everyone wants to know the timeline of when they're going to stop hurting after a breakup, which it can feel like it's going to last forever. So we want this finish line. And I always say like, it depends on so much about the dynamic in the relationship. And I'd love if you, you mentioned, there are a lot of variables that will determine your level of hurt. Could you discuss some of those variables maybe within a relationship?
1: Well, very often a relationship serves multiple purposes. Not only does it solve the problem of I'm all alone. Well, you're not alone because you're in a relationship. And Mm -hmm. then it's so you could not even be that crazy about the person, but at least it makes the boogeyman go away. And then another thing is that you have a background object. So if you needed to be picked up at the hospital, somebody's there to pick you up. You know, you have there's that person in the background, even if the relationship isn't you know isn't working that well and when that person rejects you if that's the if the nature of the breakup isn't just that you decided but that person is pulling away that rejection even if the relationship wasn't that intense that rejection of not being enough of somehow being rejection worthy instead of attachment worthy of being disposable that can hurt Tremendously. And then, if you add to that a history of being rejected in childhood, having been bullied, maybe, or being, you know, a part of a sibling group where you have a sibling who did better than you did. I mean, when you think about all the things that can make a rejection hurt a little bit more, the childhood is just full of them. So, when you add the person's history in that, the variable that makes the difference about how devastating the relationship is, isn't always just because you are so madly in love with the person. It has to do with all those other things. But of course, length of time, the quality of the connection, those things can make a big difference.
0: Yeah. So it sounds like a lot of it is kind of depending on the role that your partner is filling or maybe the void that your partner is filling and then when they're gone, what void is is left by that again? Yeah,
1: because it's pulling the rug out from underneath you. When a relationship is really working, you're not aware of all the things that it's doing for you. Mm-hmm. So you're able, you have the luxury of, of the security of being able to take it for granted, you know, when it's intact and it's working. And then when that person pulls the rug out from underneath you it's a shock. It's a demoralizing feeling of suddenly being left all alone because you're not worthy. Or there's something wrong with you. You must not be good enough that, that you're not enough. You're you're too inadequate or whatever it is. There are all of these self depreciating feelings because the rug that you didn't even know you were depending on yeah. has been pulled out from underneath you.
0: And that's very scary.
1: It is very scary very scary. This can be so devastating. And what's frustrated me and personally, when I went through it, I've been through it multiple times, but this one time was really, really intense. But is that that people, even literature, doesn't really address this well enough. You know, I haven't read any even fiction novel that does justice to the amount of pain that you can go through with a breakup. And also, when you mention that people want to know how long, there's nothing that really explains why it might be that some people, even a year later or more, are still diminished. They're still depressed. They're still pining. They're still, their self-esteem has been lowered. Why would something last more than a year? And honestly, books don't really Get do justice to that, even nonfiction. There's nothing really that addresses it. But the fact is, depending on circumstances, if people don't know how to deal with the feelings, the heartbreak can go on for a very long time. Once you know what you're doing and how to put, you know, turn it around, okay, then you can work it through.
0: Yeah. I always say that heartbreak doesn't get the credit it deserves. It doesn't. It, yeah. It's
1: been minimized. Yeah, The very term heartbreak sounds like something a little more trivial than it really is. Actually, it's the perfect word because your heart is broken. But we say the word so often that heartbreak, heartbreak, oh, puppy love, oh, we use the term too, you know, casually. So the fact is that heartbreak triggers the primal abandonment. And primal abandonment is that awful fear that you're going to be left all alone and the the shame of not being worthy of the attachment that you're not enough to hold on to the attachment so heartbreak really means your heart is broken and it re- it unleashes primal fear and hidden shame that's what makes it so painful
0: i mean and people talk all the time about the like actual physical pain and and i've spoken to a few other people in this area of like What happens in the brain when we're going through something like this. And there is a very strong physiological response. I'm curious if I know you said you researched into that. I mean, there is something physiological that's happening.
1: Well, you know, the physical part, the break causes such a cascade of stress hormones that keep you on the alert. And they're long acting stress hormones. They're not like the kind of stress hormones that if, a burglar came to your house. Those are short acting, but then the police come and arrest him and take him away. That's short acting stress hormones. But with heartbreak, it's an ongoing because the longer you're pining, the more you miss the person. It's been that much longer since you've seen them. So the stress hormones of what happened to my attachment? Your brain is searching for the lost object. Where am I? where's my love object? I I don't know. I'm disoriented. Where am I? The the stress of the the primitive brain searching for its lost object produces such a cascade of difficult stress hormones that you remain hypervigilant. You have this whole physiological response that keeps you awake at night and interferes in so many areas of your life. You know, also when you're in a relationship, two people who spend a lot of time together become a um, regulatory unit. The two people without realizing it, their eye, their pupils begin to dilate in synchrony, their their intake of breath begins to form a rhythm that complements the other person. You know, there's this hole in there, many, many physiological changes that get regulated because of the harmony of the relationship, the togetherness of two people. When that breaks up, especially if there's rejection, the person who's left behind feels as if somebody just pulled all of their wires out and they're suddenly, oh, their wires are dragging on the ground and sparking and they're feeling all of this want, this intense physiological deprivation this terrible sense of anxiety but a lot of that is because the systems that were being regulated by the relationship have now torn apart and so they're dysregulated and that is quite physiological and then the other piece of the physiology these are all interconnected but just dividing it up to be able to talk about it is what happens in the amygdala the amygdala is the emotional memory. So our amygdala has started recording sensations since we were in the womb and especially at birth. And ever since, we record sensations of fear and all of those kind of, you know, aversive kind of emotions. So we have that stored permanently. So when we go through an adult trigger, like a breakup, which is huge, a huge trigger, then that triggers the amygdala to trigger all of the early memories, but we don't have words for them because we didn't have words when we were one year old or, you know, born. So it triggers all of these weird emotions that make us feel crazy, lost, hopeless. I mean, just all these terrible emotions that we don't even have words for. We go to tell our friends who are sick and tired of listening to us, by the way, we go to tell our friends and we barely have a vocabulary to talk about you know what we're going through
0: yeah i mean i'm i can imagine people listening to this are feeling very validated in their experience and i'm curious like i think sometimes people feel a lot of shame based on how they act after a breakup people will say like i'm just so obsessive i'm like doing things that i know i shouldn't be doing can you talk about like how do people cope with this feeling of their wires being pulled out
1: yeah i mean the shame is is a big thing because a lot of times there is culpability because the person who got rejected might have become insecure and might have become too emotional and too demanding and too reactive and difficult and easy to get because they're clingy and they're and somehow that triggered the breakup and then when Mm -hmm. that happens oh is that painful Because then the person says, I loved him so much, but I lost this person because I was too needy or clingy or insecure. I sabotage the relationship or even more painful. I sabotage every chance I get at relationship because I get so insecure that I freak out and I scare the person away. That is common. There are millions of people with that pain, feeling that remorse after a relationship breaks up, blaming it all on themselves for their insecurity. And it is so painful. It is so painful to feel you lost the thing that was the most important thing in your life and you lost it because you couldn't control your emotions. You know, that is real pain. And that's very common.
0: Yeah. I've been through that multiple times.
1: Yeah. I mean, you get into a new relationship and you like the person. So you know that you have to be confident and collected and stable and self-assured, you know, not expecting the other person to assure you that you are self-assured. That's how you want to be. And you try, but you start freaking out with insecurity, with fear of abandonment. So it's very human, very common. You're in good company if you go through that, but it's still, you know, the regret is so great. And with any kind of loss, we have regret, even if there's a death. I wish I had told my mother how much I loved her. I wish I had helped my father more when he broke his leg. I wish, you know, we have regret whenever there's loss, as if it's too late now to do the things that we are now realizing we should have done. And we, people go through this, it's universal. Well, add to that, it's a breakup. The person rejected you, and maybe you did sabotage it because you couldn't handle the relationship. Oh, that is real pain. Yeah. And this is what people, you know, millions and millions of people go through this pain, and it's not talked about. It is not addressed, people talk about it as if it's like light and fluffy and it's anything but that. This show is sponsored by
0: BetterHelp. What would you do if you had unlimited time and energy? As you're navigating your breakup, I know your energy can feel low and it can feel really difficult to complete everything you need to in a day. When you're emotionally exhausted, it's especially important to be really clear on what your priorities are and where your energy should be invested. Therapy can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of it. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash heartbreak today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash heartbreak. Are you looking for a guilt-free way to unwind? 11 years i need something that helps me relax and that can bring me a moment of peace lately my favorite way to do that is sitting on the couch after i put my kids to bed and having either the strawberry rose or the lime recess mood they not only make me feel good but they also taste incredible too so whether you're looking for a healthier alternative to alcohol or a way to make you feel more balanced, you deserve a healthier way to unwind. Head to takearecess.com heartbreak and get 15% off Recess Mood, your go-to alcohol replacement. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. I think I'm sure this a lot of this relates to attachment styles that you know that people have and we've talked a lot about anxious attachment styles on this podcast because that is a big you know theme among my listeners and I mean it's that moment where you feel like you're losing the person so you do more when really that's not the answer but it's like I mean I've been in that where it's it's like you can't stop to like, feel like
1: you there's feel no switch.
0: Yeah. There there's no, no switch. switch. That's a great thing to know. Yeah. Cause it's like, why do I have, it feels like a lack of willpower or it feels like, you know, it feels like I'm crazy cause I can't stop this, but it's just, you know, certain dynamics in a relationship and it's really tough.
1: Yeah. And the, the self-talk is really painful. There's something wrong with me. I'm broken. Yeah. I'll never be normal. I'm ruining this. I can't stop myself. How come I can't stop it? I have no willpower. I mm-hmm. should be able to handle this. I should be confident and in control. Let me act more that way. Oh, I can't sustain my confident attitude. I keep breaking down into insecurity. There's something so wrong with me. I'm so broke. I'm not good enough to be in a relationship, I'm not worthy. I mean, the self-talk on that stuff is just so painful, what people go through. And of course, there's an answer, there's a solution to these problems, but people don't necessarily have the tools sitting right in front of them to know what to do.
0: Yeah. And I'd love if you, I mean, you are obviously so big on abandonment recovery. And I know you have your five stages. And I would love if you could, you know, get into how if someone's nodding along with this, and they're like, this is me, how do I get out of this? Would love if you could, you know, talk a little bit about your process. All right. Well,
1: um there's five stages of abandonment just help to organize the powerful feelings. The first stage is shattering when you realize that that the your security is threatened, that you're the person or the job or whatever, but we're dealing with heartbreak, so we'll make it the person. Okay. When the person might pull away. You know, and this is this is something maybe to mention. This can even happen if it's just one date. That's really good to know. It is because you can have real total devastation because you have a date. And on the date, you think, oh, I'm finally meeting someone. I feel the connection. This could work. And your mind, the future that you've been afraid to hope for, suddenly that future seems possible. You picture yourself happy. You picture suddenly, you know, being more independent and feeling more zest for life because now there's a possible relationship. And then the person doesn't call back. And the devastation of being apparently rejected by someone you've just been out with once can be so devastating because it sends you back to the beginning. Yeah. Now you go back to, ugh, and it hurts more because you've had hope so going back to that place is is even more painful i mean it doesn't if it's only one date it doesn't last as long but it can be it can be very devastating but anyway that's shattering when you realize that your sense of security is threatened because the person is pulling away or has broken up with you or hasn't called back or whatever then there's withdrawal where it's like heroin withdrawal where you're yearning for a fix and you can't get it so you're yearning for the person, but you can't get it. And it's such a terrible feeling of, of powerlessness and shame of not being strong enough to compel the person to come back to you. And then that's followed by internalizing where because you can't make the person come back, it's because I'm not good enough. You beat yourself up. I'm not good enough it's because I'm not enough. I'm too inadequate. I'm not beautiful enough. I'm not successful enough or whatever it is. And depending on who the other person is, but there is real self-doubt going on. And that's when the wound of abandonment can become infected with self-esteem issues where you Mm. really question your, the self-doubt causes you to question your self-worth. But the next phase after that is anger because you're frustrated because you feel so powerless and so miserable at being this unhappy over some person. Get oh, Why is that person making such a difference? I'm angry. This is not fair. It's not right. And this is the time that usually you get into arguments with your friends and family because they say stupid things to you like, just let go and yeah. move forward.
0: There's plenty of fish in the sea. <laughs> yes. Yeah.
1: How come you, if he treated you so badly, how come you're pining? Well, it's exactly because yeah. he or she caused so much pain that I'm pining. And then the final stage after shattering, withdrawal, and internalizing, rage, and lifting. The last one is lifting, where you lift out of the abandonment, but it sounds so happy to lift above it this all happens within a day within a month within a year it cycles within cycles because even after you lift you swirl back into the shattering with you know you go through the stages over and over until you finally begin to come out of the end of that funnel of the swirling you know stages but lifting if you lift out of the abandonment but you don't know how to handle the feelings you'll leave a lot of scar tissue, which means you'll become numb in in the area of romance. And so when you become numb, you are more prone to being attracted to the unavailable next time. Mm -hmm. So there are millions and millions of people out there who are attracted to the unavailable and they don't know why. Nobody Mm -hmm. who's available is interesting. In -hmm. fact, If the person is unavailable at first, they're attracted, then that unavailable person starts to become interested. Ew. And you start to lose the attraction. Well, why is that? Because you can't feel a mutual attachment because of all the numbing. Because you didn't deal with all the feelings. So what you can feel, you can feel insecure. Yeah, you can feel panicky, you can feel not enough, you can feel inadequate, you can chase, you can hope, you can try to win. But to have to actually have mutuality is something that you've lost the ability momentarily to feel that. So, you that's where abandonment recovery really comes in handy to make what was calloused and unfeeling back to feeling.
0: Wow. That is very mind blowing to, to hear you say it like that. And I love that you said win with emotional unavailable, because that was like, I kept thinking if I could win this, like this person over, that means I'm good. It became yes. like a competition that I was always yeah. losing, but it was like right. this chasing of winning this trophy that would finally mean I'm, you know, that I'm good enough.
1: Yeah, another way of putting that is become self-esteem by proxy because you're chasing an unavailable person. That person acquires more and more power because you're giving it to them, making them the be-all and end all of your life. And then if that person finally starts paying attention and wants you, well then you can feel good about yourself. Only you're not creating self-esteem, which is something you give to yourself. You're getting it from Person who's finally liking you, so it's getting esteem by proxy, not something that you give to yourself.
0: That's so I love that term, it really
1: doesn't work. In other words, yeah, (laughs) it wears off very quickly. Yeah, yes,
0: wow, this is so informative. And I've been married for five years, and this is still very informative for me. So, can we talk a little bit about the recovery? I know you have so many tools, books, workshops, but if you could, you know. If someone is feeling in the swirl, what are some, you know, tools that they can use to, to recover from that? Or, you know, what's that process look like?
1: All right. Well, the reason that it's so painful to go through or a way of describing it is that your attachment energy that seeks a love object so badly. And now because of abandonment, ugh, it's not having that, that attachment energy is now thwarted because it can't find its love object. So that thwarting is the pain of abandonment. Okay. But that attachment energy is very valuable. It's something you have to recognize, that your attachment energy is thwarted because it can't find someone to love, but you can love yourself. So the, the program takes that attachment energy, which has been thwarted, and turns it into a new relationship with yourself, wow. where your adult self forms a relationship with your your inner child. It's really your inner child within your inner child, your emotional self. And that attachment energy comes right in and creates finally in your life, the first self-loving relationship that you've ever really, really had to form. Yeah. It's because you been through abandonment, that now you're motivated to have it. So the new relationship with yourself is just so powerful. But there is a way of getting, I mean, that sounds lovely to say, but yeah. how do we do that? So for each one of the stages of abandonment, the swirl process, and the reason there's swirl and five stages and then five exercises, it's just to organize the material because there's so much. Yeah. But for swirl, the beginning one, shattering, when you're shattered, That first initial thing, the only way that you can get through that without, you know, lots of alcohol and other drugs, because they work very well when you're going through shattering. And that's dangerous because they're addictive Mm -hmm. and they can cause a lot of trouble. But the safe, healthy, you know, alternative, because many people become alcoholic during abandonment. I mean, that's when, when you go to an AA meeting, everybody is an abandonment survivor.
0: Yep, I've been in AA for ten years. I can definitely oh, attest okay. to that. So you yeah, know. so it's yeah. either
1: from childhood abandonment or adult abandonment or both. Yep. So, but the way instead of alcohol, which is very effective, is the moment. So that's when you know Zen Buddhism and you know meditation becomes so important. Mindfulness, and it's the most difficult time to become mindful is when you're having an anxiety attack and having fear of abandonment from going through it. So. It's not just something you just do by osmosis. There are exercises that help you get into the moment. You can only hold it for a few seconds at a time at first, but you keep doing it and it's a way of coping. So that's foreshadowing. In withdrawal, there's an exercise using visualization. You imagine your future already resolved and you use your imagination to create positive imagery you do these things very quickly by the way I have mm-hmm. a, a video tape I think I have both audio and video of each one of these exercises to, oh, great. to try to make it easy for people because they're you know it's not like you can explain it in one second it's but the visualization allows you to put positive images so you're learning to get into the moment and you're also learning to hone the tool of your mind to have some positive imagery because you sure do have a lot of negative imagery up there when there's an abandonment you have hopelessness and despair and self-reproach and self-hatred you need some positive images then the third exercise is the exercise of all exercises which is To divide your personality into two parts, big you and little you, your adult self and your inner child, your littlest inner child, a younger version of inner child than most people are used to. And then you get your adult self to get your inner child self to cry and talk about its feelings and what it needs. And your adult self and your inner child, and this sounds like such a fantasy, but it becomes very real form a real real relationship. And it can only be done, and this is not good news, but it can only be done with writing. Nobody wants to write, but it can only be done with writing. You can do it out loud and you can think it, but none of that's effective compared to writing.
0: We're big writing fans on this podcast. So people know oh, I'm that so I'm a big, because,
1: yeah. Oh, if, if you try to do it verbally. Pen to
0: paper writing.
1: Yes, pen to paper. Yeah. There's something that happens when the part of your brain, this the graphomotor part of your brain has to connect with your emotional brain because you're dealing with emotions, and also your conceptual brain, because you're having to figure out these parts, but also your imagination, because you're creating these images of your adult self and your inner child self. So all the parts of your brain that are so productive come together when you write the dialogue. It's just the impact is tremendous. And then the fourth exercise has to do with identifying the outer child which is the part that has to do with self-sabotage. Your outer child is the part that breaks your diet and gets attracted to all the wrong people. Outer child is self-centered, egocentric. Outer child's in denial. Outer child you know, has a million areas of self-indulgence. Uh, it makes a decision that to never have more than two glasses of wine and always has the third, which could lead to the fourth, et cetera. Your outer child is the internal nemesis. and So the fourth exercise is to identify the outer child and then find a way to put the outer child in the dialogue so that big you and little you kind of are aware of the fact that outer child is always wanting to sabotage and, you know, take control and so forth. So it's a powerful exercise. It's very hard to describe, you know, in short you know, how that would be to, to actually identify that third voice, inner child, outer child, and the adult. That's the, the outer child is that third voice. And then the final exercise is taking all of these, these other exercises and integrating them into a life plan and doing that sort of under a conceptual framework called future self. And again, this involves writing, who is your future self? and your future self if you if you work with these feelings and work with getting into the moment and using your imagination to create positive imagery and create a new relationship with yourself and stay on top of your self sabotaging part your future self is more robust more productive more confident mm-hmm. more self connected more self reliant because in the past you have to get your needs met by other people. You need yeah. your boss to approve of you. Your friends have to love you. You need a partner to make you feel good. You, you're always looking to the external to for approval and love in your future. You still look to the external. I mean, yeah. we always will. But most of that stuff comes from the self. We can give it to ourselves, and we become what, We're so envious of other people for being self-assured because we're giving it to ourselves, big to little. We're actually giving ourselves love, reassurance, motivation, honesty. We're taking our own inventory. So that's how the program works. And I make it sound so simple, but it's really kind of work intensive. You really have to work it.
0: I mean as someone you know I I'm being in AA for 10 years I've been through a lot of you know this kind of inventories and work and I actually had a therapist we did the letters to inner child and writing oh. letters from inner child to big kendra and I can attest to the fact that it's it is extremely powerful to to do and I actually my um AA sponsor made me a journal with my kid picture on it. So like when I write, it's like right there. It is very powerful. And I remember the first time I someone asked me to do it, it felt very out there. But I think that's one of the really powerful things. And I share this a lot about going through a breakup is you do have, I guess, motivation that you probably wouldn't normally have to, you know, try things that you haven't done before and, and dig deep and and do that kind of work that will not only just serve you in the breakup, but well beyond that in future relationships.
1: Well, it is work intensive. Thank you for attesting to the power of it. There are lots of people who I do workshops. And, and one of the reasons is because it's unbelievably powerful to do this in a group of people yeah, and then share the dialogues. So other, you see other people writing away and you think, what are they writing? I can't get my inner child to say a single word, you know, so it kind of gets you going. But many people will, the first five times they try it, they'll say, I don't feel anything. My inner child has nothing to say. I'm writing all the words, but I'm not feeling anything. It's fake. It feels very artificial. And I, I feel, I see other people crying and, having breakthroughs and I'm not having them. There must be something wrong with me. And that's not that there's anything wrong with that person. That person has a very abandoned inner child. That person's inner child, the self-abandonment that goes on, that person's outer child, you know, the, the nemesis part, took over. And so the inner child, the poor little kid with all the emotions, doesn't even know what it's feeling. It's been ignored for so long. It's like, what do you care what I feel? I don't have any feelings. I'm supposed to not have any feelings. So it's very hard for people who have sort of let a lot of, you know, distance occur between their deepest feelings and their their adult self, which they're only developing their adult self. Those people have a very hard time with the dialogue, but ooh, they get such good results when they stick with it. It could take five or six, seven, eight tries, but they will eventually get something real from that inner child. like inner child might say, "Stop asking me questions. I don't care about any of this. You have never cared about me anyway. What? And then finally, a little you you finally get some emotion starting and then you just keep drawing on that. It's just so powerful, as you say.
0: yeah there's no magic pill for breakups. There's no, you know, quick, I think, you know, so many of us want to go to that one therapy session and just all of a sudden feel lighter and that everything's, you know, okay. But a lot of this happens in layers and it's a process. And I love that, like the swirl, it keep going, you keep cycling through these different stages and there's no I mean, you know, healing's not linear, there's, you know, ups and downs to it. And, and yeah, but I have to say, this is probably one of my most favorite interviews that I've ever done. I feel like I have learned so so much from you. And I can't wait for other people to hear about this. And I really want to take one of your workshops. Can you tell us about some of your books and workshops and how people can dive into this process with you?
1: Well, the five stages of abandonment and the, I named the program of exercises Akeru. It's a Japanese word. It okay. means to begin and to end. So it's that never ending process. But the five stages and the Akeru exercises are presented in detail in all of my books. Okay. Black Swan is the 12 lessons of abandonment recovery. So it's more of a spiritual journey. and the other three books, take you through the Ikero exercises and i present them in the books in my workshops okay. even if it's a three-day workshop and i have a six-day workshop also which is life-changing you know you can imagine just yeah really working getting to know people and so forth and then in my videotapes okay which you know there's no interaction but at least you're being exposed and you get me trying my best to convey you know to convey the 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 exercises but the idea is that the program it's a full program and it's doable it's broken down step by step as much as it's work intensive it's pretty easy really you know you can do it it's it's made as easy as possible for you because I know from personal experience how overwhelming it is to go through so, you know, you go step by step and you kind of just take your way through it.
0: Amazing. And where can people find all of that on your website?
1: I have my website, abandonment.net with all of it. Okay. And it's in it's in the books and it's in it, and the workshops are listed on my website. I have an online workshop coming up. I can't tell you I have the name, the date exactly in my head. I think it's in April Okay, for people mostly in the United States. It, it, I, I have one that. Goes, you know, so that people in Australia and Asia can come and so forth. You know, there are different ones. They're attended by people all over the world because people will set their alarm and get up to go to them. And there are five sessions. And then I also go to wellness centers and places like Krupalu Institute. Okay. And Esalen Institute. I've
0: heard of Esalen.
1: Yeah. So, you know, then there's another place that I just started running workshops called The Art of Loving the art of living institute it's in north carolina in the blue ridge mountains it's a absolutely beautiful place Amazing. so you know it's wonderful to be able to take a workshop because you create a fellowship with other people yeah and then you get to continue emailing them on an ongoing basis to support your your ongoing program
0: yeah i mean doing this kind of stuff in community is so powerful i mean just for the sole fact of knowing that you're not the only person experiencing it
1: Yes. Well, I'm sure that's what you're creating is a fellowship yes, of people working on this stuff. Yes, that's
0: the goal. I mean, yeah, especially during COVID, I think it was really important for people, you know, to know that they weren't the only ones going through heartbreak. And even when you were talking about how everyone has regrets after breakup on my Instagram last month, I had everyone put anonymously the regret that they had about their breakup. And I posted them and people were like, oh my gosh, I thought I, I thought I was the only one feeling this way. And I've just, you know, learned that none of our feelings are typically unique.
1: No. And by having them post their regrets, they're also posting something they're not proud of Mm -hmm. because they, whatever it was ruined their relationship, at least in their mind. And so you're having them come clean anonymously. Yeah. Safely come clean in a community and other people read it. And it is so cleansing. What you're doing without without a question of a doubt is you're de shaming people. You're giving them a forum to Mm. realize the universality of their behaviors and their feelings. So that kind of thing is so important. And that community is very much needed in abandonment recovery. Yeah. It's a people-to-people program.
0: Yeah. I mean, I took so much from and continue to take so much from 12-step community and recovery. And it was so impactful for me. And being able to bring any kind of solace of like that for people going through breakups has been really powerful. So thank you so much, Susan. I can't thank you enough for everything that you shared on here. So,
1: Well, thank you so much for the interview. I really appreciate it.
0: I always end these episodes the same way, reminding you to be nice to yourself, stay connected with loved ones, and the biggest reminder is that this too shall pass. I promise. Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check.